This is DVM Loading, a podcast about the life of professional students from a veterinary perspective. With your hosts, Carling Hemstreet and Caitlin Marr, we go through the daily life of being in veterinary school with a fun twist. Let's get loading! Hey listeners, welcome back to another week of DVM Loading. Today, I, Caitlin Marr, will be doing a solo um, episode, and when I mean solo, I mean all by myself. I have my dog sitting here with me for support. Um, I had to take all of the squeaky toys away <laughs> so they wouldn't interrupt me. Um, sorry I missed an episode about two weeks ago. I was planning on recording an episode and interviewing the two large animal veterinarians that I was working with. But we were just so busy with farm calls and everything. And before I knew it, my two weeks was up and I was leaving town. So um, I wasn't able to make that happen. But today I wanted to just kind of talk about some cases that I saw while I was there with them. Um, And I guess I can kind of catch up with my own self since I haven't visited with y'all in forever. Um, But I have spent three weeks in West Texas at a small mixed animal uh, practice and then two weeks at a large animal practice in my hometown and just finished up another two weeks at um, a small animal clinic in my hometown and I'm actually packing to head back up to Amarillo this week so um, fun things getting ready to start back up for my second year of vet school it's it's kind of surreal I remember a year ago sitting like in my house, just packing things up, loading the U-Haul, which was a lifesaver because I fit literally everything in it. And moving, you know, across the state 10 hours away from my family into a place I've never been with strangers I've never met. And so it's all of those feels. I see everyone moving in the new class and they're just so excited yet anxious and nervous. And I'm excited to, um, be able to offer them some support and help ease them into vet school like the upperclassmen did for us. So really excited. Um, The mentorship committee is moving along with things and and we're excited to meet all of our new class uh, colleagues, I guess, um, here in, I guess, a week or so because orientation's next week. Anyways, enough catch up. I broke a promise to y'all that I wouldn't work the last two weeks being here uh, in my hometown, but I had to. (laughs) I just wanted to make some more money and get some more experience, but I did take a vacation. I went to the Frio with some of my old college friends, Katie and Caddy. It was so good to catch up with them. It had been two years almost, a year and a half since I had last gotten to visit with them. So that was really nice and refreshing and I can easily say that I am ready to go back to school and I'm glad that uh, summer is nearing its end. So today um, I wrote down during my internships some notes and cases that I wanted to just keep for myself um, as record and also just so I could have some notes to take home to go do some more research and study some more of these um, cases and topics. So I'm going to visit first off about the large animal cases I saw at Victoria Veterinary Clinic in Victoria, Texas. So the first day of my internship, I saw a 
a pet goat that presented for losing weight, general lethargy, had a swollen eye, swollen jaw, just not eating or drinking normal, and the owners had said they had even tried giving a probiotic from Tractor Supply over the counter. We did a physical exam. Our temperature was within normal limits at 101.4, respiratory rate 32. Uh, our FAMACHO score, which checks out the anemia level um, on these goats, was a 4 out of 5. And so that is a really big indicator off the bat that we've, you know, we're losing blood. We've potentially got a, a massive parasite load. And so um, in school, one of our professors, Dr. Pippa Gibbons, had taught us um, five is fat and fatal, whereas like five on the BCS scale means that an animal's very fat. And five on the FAMACHA scale is fatal, usually meaning they're going to die. Like, they're anemic. They're on the brink of death. And so this goat was at a four out of five. Um, his, his body condition was thin, and uh, he had a large swelling on the ventral throat latch area around his submandibular um, lymph nodes and the mandibular area. And so we took some blood. Uh, his PCV pack cell volume was 9%, meaning we really just didn't have very many red blood cells left. And our fecal sedimentation, um, the technician read that and it showed heavy strongyles. We, we didn't like get to see any homunculus straight off of the fecal. I think they have to be run a different way. I'm not sure. Uh, Dr. Fritzer would kick my butt for not remembering. <laughs> um, so our um, diagnosis is what we typically call bottle jaw or um, homunculus contortus is like the causing causative factor. And so that is a worm called the barber pole worm for layman's terms that um, I guess just sucks the blood and the life out of these animals. Um, it's very common in goat herds and and in South Texas it's pretty prevalent because we have moisture and everything and and a lot of uh, families down here overgraze the pastures and don't do species interspecies grazing or rotations um, which are other non-medical ways to help prevent your herd from being overrun with homunculus so um, our treatment was safeguard orally for three days and to ivermec uh, treat the entire herd and then to recheck a fecal in two weeks. Uh, the family was wanted to keep their budget, uh, keep to their budget, so we didn't do any additional supportive care at the clinic. Uh, when I had gone home and looked up some research and stuff from parasitology, I kind of through a differential diagnostic list out there. And I, and I don't know why, well, I do know why there's a paper in our notes that we had been taught in parasitology talking about fasciola hepatica or the common liver fluke, AKA like it can lead to black disease and it can cause similar wasting type, uh, chronic wasting type syndromes like homunculus can and the anemia and things like that. So, um, 
that you definitely have to keep on the back of the burner is that the common most common diagnosis you see with these symptoms no but it is an option so um, just kind of building a list for you to be able to go through and see which fits um, our symptoms the best is, I guess, the good approach to go to. So that goat went home. We treated him. He did great. Um, that's something that the owners will continue to have to watch and deal with in the future. Uh, make sure they stay on proper deworming schedules. Um, our second case we got to see, I was not a part of the initial um exams which had happened weeks prior to my internship we had a mini pony come in and present with um looks like a summer sore but it is on the left front fetlock the palmer region uh the horse had just been biting at the wound and not leaving it alone it was open bleeding swelling granulating and so um we had tried summer sore treatment, some uh, topical salves, and that had not worked. We had been bandaging and spraying um, with FICO fixer and wrapping daily and cleaning the uh, wound. The horse also battles gastric ulcers, and so we had her on omeprazole at the same time. We had scoped the horse at the beginning of this consultation and there were uh, ulcers present on that non-glandular stomach and the margo placatus was pretty upset and when we rescoped her at the end of my internship she had no ulcers present and the uh, mucosa in that stomach looked a lot happier so that was uh, progress there now back to this leg uh, keep in mind, I'm in South Texas. It's very hot, humid, muggy, and we do get some rain occasionally, although we're in a dry spell right now. But uh, differential diagnosis list, summer sores or pythium insidiosum, which is something we also learned about in school. And uh, we sent off a biopsy to histopathology because um, we thought originally it was summer sores and the treatment wasn't working. So histopath showed that, uh, or I guess concluded that they were suspecting pythium insidiosum. And so what we would do um, is we started this mini pony on immunosupportive injections weekly for the treatment of pythium. And the drug company and the veterinarian I've had about 80% success rate uh, with treatment and re resolution of the pythium lesions once starting these injections. Uh, they'll continue to wrap the leg and spray it with the FICO fixer as long as the horse uh, doesn't keep chewing on it and, and causing mutilation. Now, the last time I did see this horse, the leg looked substantially better. It was actually starting to um, heal. There was no proud flesh, but she had lost 30 pounds in a week or two, and, and not substantial for a mini pony. So she's kind of going off feed, just acting more depressed, lethargic. And so we're wondering if maybe the immune uh, shots are just causing her to feel 
overall crummy and leading to the anorexia. And so that was something the doctors were going to continue to monitor. But um, on presentation, this wound was huge. I mean, like the size of my hand on this mini pony's fetlock. And there were deep, deep, um, I guess, wounds where you could stick about your finger in like about halfway type thing and there were white chunks of it looks like coral like someone just took a piece of coral threw it on the ground broke it up in little pieces and sprinkled that all in the wound and so having the coral like material in that wound uh, is kind of a telltale sign of potential pythium that you're battling with and so when they had first diagnosed it, there was none of that present. And since um, it wasn't getting better, it continued to uh, develop in the stages and was presenting with those coral-like um, exudate. So pythium can be called called swamp cancer as well. A lot of people can can you know hear it as swamp cancer or pythium, and um, it's a pretty hard thing to get rid of and it's very prevalent in the humid uh, environment. So South Texas definitely is a prime area for a lot of these issues that I'm going to talk about today. And uh, it's something that you just have to be aggressive with treatment and uh, maintenance of the wound and the owners are doing a great job. So we're expecting this pony to have um, some some positive outcome as long as she can uh, gain some weight back and things like that. So that was really cool because I had never seen Pythium in a horse and, or I mean, just to be honest in my life, probably aside from what we saw like in class. And so actually seeing Pythium and getting to like look at it in all of its terrifying glory, like it's, it's pretty dang cool. Um, now I will know, you know, those little coral like, exudative material is kind of indicative of swamp cancer. So it was pretty neat putting things in my toolbox. Um, another case that I got to help with was we had this three-year-old quarter horse stallion come in. The owner had just bought him about three weeks ago. They traveled from California to Texas. Um, he presented one day with complaints of the left eye being blue in color, draining with discharge, very itchy, and this injury had happened four days prior to the owner bringing the horse in. So we take a look at the horse. Um, there is corneal melting present of that left eye, and so Dr. Sam had told me uh, just in his experience most of the times when there's corneal melting present, it's most likely caused by a species of pseudomonas. And so what we did is we took a culture of the eye, the cornea. They have an in-house um, incubator and stuff like that, that we cultured it and we let it grow over a couple of days and recorded the results. And um, I'll actually post a picture of that on our Instagram so you could see it. But it was pretty neat because we got to do that um, culture in-house and not a lot of vet clinics do that. They have to send everything out. So it was nice to get to do it myself and to see 
you know, how fast we got the results. And so uh, it indeed did grow Pseudomonas species and Staphylococcus species. So he had a pretty nasty infection in that eye that had caused um, the corneal melting, whether that was from like a prior injury or just, you know, environmental additives like changing from California to Texas. Our treatment included placing a corneal lavage and we kept him in clinic for four days, three or four days, administered eye meds four times a day via that corneal lavage, uh, maintained him with pain medication, antibiotics, IV, and other things like that. The owners, uh, we sent him home with the owners after the three or four days and he's coming back for rechecks um, every week or so, I believe. The last I saw him, um, his eye was looking better, but he was acting very studly and had become kind of uh, unwilling to work with and dangerous to himself and, and us. So we had consulted with the owners and, and they were going to continue treatment at home themselves. And so, um, we'll just keep rechecking him and everything. But so far it looked like we were going in the right direction and fingers crossed that we caught the injury, um, and infection in a timely enough manner for, all of the uh, the antibiotics and things to kick in and help that eye out. Hopefully he doesn't lose it, but having a one eye to stud isn't that big of a deal. Um, he can still do his job. Another case that was really cool because I had some experience with it in undergrad at AM is we had an outbreak of Rhodococcus equi in this farm in our hometown. And, or in the area around us, and we had seen six foals from this property. Um, all of the foals ranged five to six months old. They presented with lethargy, anorexia, nasal drainage. Uh, some had coughs, some did not. And so in undergrad, I had worked with Dr. Noah Cohen and his research group to study vaccine efficacy for rhodococcus equi or against it. And so we had done those clinical trials with the foals at the A&M and it was pretty neat to see how that manifested and worked. Um, We went out to, well, some of these foals they brought to the clinic. Some of them we went out on a farm call to visit. So when I kind of talk about it, it'll be, you know, like at the clinic and the farm call, we kind of all did the same thing because we can make pretty much everything mobile if we need to. So we performed thoracic ultrasounds and there were presence of comet tails, uh, which is indicative of pathology on the left and right long lobes um, in all six folds. And so the amount and the severity varied, but all foals um, did have pathology in their lungs, some smaller, some larger, more, more frequent or diffuse. And so our treatment was, oh, and not to mention, um, most of them did not have fevers on the farm. The two that were brought into the clinic and hospitalized, they were the initial ones presenting with this sickness. And they did have fevers. Um, So our treatment, we 
gave the foals exceed on a few of them and Zactrin or which is a macrolide on others. We gave banamine IV for fever and pain um, control in all of the foals. We ran a CBC in chemistry back at the clinic. So we had collected blood there at the farm. Um, they all had elevated white blood cells. Uh, the ones on the farm we couldn't run a fibrin test on or an SAA test on because we had left the machine at home. But the two foals at the clinic we did run an SAA, which is a serum amyloid A test on. And that is just a really, and even the fibrin one, is a really good in indicator of inflammation, infection in the body. And so usually it's one of the, it's a liver enzyme and or the serum amyloid A. Amyloid A is a liver enzyme. I'm pretty sure it's found in the liver. And it like kind of kicks off and sets everything off if there's infection. So it can be used for early, early diagnosis of inflammation, infection, whereas uh, the white blood cells on a CBC may not be um, elevated quite yet because we caught it early. So that was pretty neat. I'd never used that or heard of that. So it was cool to see that work. Definitely think that I would get one of those in the future as a vet. Um, now, after treating the foals and everything, we expect a full recovery. Uh, it's really hard to get rid of Rhodococcus equi, especially once it's on the farm. So we suspect, you know, foals next season will be exposed to this bug as well. But what we're planning on doing is changing their vaccine protocol on farm. So they used to, um, or they vaccinated after weaning, like a month after weaning, um, because they were worried weaning was too stressful. So a lot of these foals we were treating had only had one, if none, if no vaccines. So that also helped um, predispose them to contracting Rhodococcus. Um, we're changing their protocols to vaccinate with the first round a month prior to weaning and then booster that vaccine at weaning. And so um, that is something that will help potentially lower the outbreak of Rhodococcus equi in the future at that farm. And we were rechecking the foals in about seven to ten days after we did all of the treatment and they're improving. None of them have fevers. So now it'll just take some time for the lung pathology to go away, but they should um, be able to recover normally and, and have full athletic ability. Um, another cool one that I got to see was summer sores. Uh, it was on the ventral girth region of this horse. And there were two deep, deep, deep wounds. Um, I have never been exposed to summer sores. Like, I don't, I didn't know what they were or anything or what caused them until after this, um, this internship and even in parasitology when they were talking about it. But it's uh, summer sores or glandular dermatitis, habronemiasis, nemiasis, however you want to say it. Uh, it's caused by a fly, basically, fly larva. And so the horse presented with non-healing bilateral lesions on the ventrum of his girth area, large deep wounds that drain and is thickened with glandular tissue. 
Uh, there's no proud flesh at the moment, so there's not an overgrowth of that um, fibrous type tissue, granulation tissue. And so to treat this, we dewormed, or you need to deworm rigorously uh, with ivermectin or moxidectin to kill the stomach worm larva, which is planted on the animal um, from the ha the habernemius flies, uh, or however you say that. I'm terrible at pronouncing parasite words. So um, the flies basically lay the stomach worm larva eggs on the on the wound or on the the hair of the animal. And the larva causes issues pretty much. And, and the animal can get those stomach worms and other things in them too and cause issues on the inside. But what's really mainly the cause is the external trauma from the larva on, you know, what could have just started out as a superficial wound becoming a very large, deep, draining wound. And so we treated with fly control, um... We applied an ointment or, or a salve to the lesions, cleaned them out, and uh, get got the owners back on a deworming schedule. And so the Summersore ointment, ointment that this clinic used, they make their own. And so it's a concoction of Ultraboss, which is a fly repellent, Ivermectin, or, and Dectamax, uh, DMSO, and Dexmethasone. Um, all in this ointment tub and so I cleaned out the wound basically and it was very deep it was crazy and um, I cleaned it out scraped all the nastiness out put this ointment over it and we uh, you know applied fly spray and stuff like that to the to the horse and apparently they you know they heal pretty good the main concern is you just have to get the flies under control and you have to get rid of the larva in the on the wound or in the wound and so the fly control is really the most important and then deworming them if they have you know any of the stomach worms so that was pretty neat this wound was pretty gnarly i was shocked this horse was just chilling and had these two big wounds on his belly basically and he's a ranch horse and it's right where his saddle girth goes so it could have been something as simple as like a scratch from a sticker in their girth that led to this, which is, is pretty wild. Another cool case, because we talked a lot about it in school, is mastitis. I got to see mastitis in this Santa Gertrudis beef cow. Um, she had a calf at side. She's not a first-time mom either. She's a really good mom, actually crazy thing is the owner said that she's kind of like the nanny cow where she'll let multiple calves nurse off of her um, in the pasture regardless if they're hers or not. So it was unfortunate when she came down with mastitis. But her front two quarters were very inflamed. Um, the right front quarter was very, very, very ulcerated. And um, they were both very firm and warm. The cow stopped producing milk. She had came in bag really heavy. And with it, with the calf not suckling and being able to, she uh, went into a dry period. And so we've been bottle feeding the calf ever since. He's been doing great. Mom is doing great too. We've been stripping the teats daily. 
we did hydrotherapy on uh, her quarters and flushed out a bunch of that necrotic, nasty, um, inflammatory tissue debris in that ulcerated uh, quarter. It was pretty, pretty intense. And we uh, applied intramammary antibiotics and uh, the cow's eating, drinking, urinating, defecating, normal. And she was sent home for continued hydrotherapy and uh, intramammary antibiotics. And another, this one's kind of, I needed to do more research into it. But I just thought it was cool and I have it written down. We had this horse come in. I think she was coming in for a pregnancy confirmation or just a an update. Um, for breeding season to make sure everything was still looking good. She had what was called a pin firing done on her front legs on the metacarpal bones. And um, it had these like hair impression type things. It wasn't very deep. Like it wasn't actually in the soft tissue part of it. It was just more in the dermis epidermis and so there were these little pin like scars or impressions on the legs and she used to be a racehorse and Dr. Sam had told me that it's an older therapy that was used by veterinarians um, to reduce the risk of tendon injury by increasing circulation to those tendons um, so I thought that was pretty neat need to do more research on that uh, but that was back in the day before they had all of these other technologies. And so I think it, I thought it was cool that, you know, there was, there's still a horse out there that you can see these old practices done on. So it was pretty neat to learn that. Um, overall, my time at the large animal clinic was amazing. I got to see a lot of cool cases like I had just visited with y'all about. Hopefully that didn't bore y'all to death. <laughs> I thought it was really fun. And I got to do a lot of hands-on things, and I'm so, so, so blessed every day. And I'm, uh, I was really excited to share all of these with y'all. Um, today's, you know, it's my last episode solo. Next week, we'll be back together, Carling and I, in Amarillo. So we'll be able to have our normal recordings uh, up for y'all then. But I just wanted to kind of share a little bit of what I went through and um, mainly I just wanted all of you to hear me say all of these fancy doctor words, um, because fasciola hepatica is like a $50 word for me and homonchus contortus, you know, that one's easier. I'll say that one's like a $15 word for me. Um, I just wanted to kind of just keep it real with y'all and show y'all what I was doing over the summer and what first year has taught me so far about my studies and, how I've been able to apply all of first year into clinical um, scenarios. So it's really cool that I got to see in person and like touch and look at um, things and cases, diseases that I was taught in, in first year already. So I'm really excited to continue learning. I enjoy it so much. I have studied some over summer break. So um, that's no surprise though. I enjoy it. I got some really cool cases at Out West Vet Services too. Um, a lot of them is like just going over blood work stuff. So I don't want to bore y'all to death. But 
uh, some two things I can talk about two things that I really did learn that I did not know existed or was a thing but I learned about uremic ulcers uh, which uremic kind of just stands for like an ammonia smelling breath so uremic ulcers are plaques or ulcers present on the tongue or gingiva and buccal mucosa so inside the cheeks and so it presents when an animal has uremia or is in chronic kidney failure slash end stage renal failure, um, i.e. in a uremic crisis type thing. The kidneys are not working. So uh, uremic ulcers results from prolonged azotemia or urinary blockage and renal malfunction. So to kind of dive into it a little bit, azotemia is just an increased concentration of urea and creatinine in the blood. So those non-nitrogen proteins are just in too high of quantity in the blood and we're becoming toxic in a sense. So our kidneys are going to shut down and it's just bad news. Uh, uremic ulcers are usually pres present in the end stages of kidney disease. So it's usually a telltale sign that this animal's had some had some battles before and and sure enough running the blood work this animal it was a 13 year old pug she um her chemistry was crazy off the charts her creatinine was a 10.9 when the reference interval is 0 0.5 to 1.8 her bun her which is blood urea nitrogen was greater than 130 which um the reference range is 7 to 27, which what this indicates is that we have at least lost 80% of our renal function, meaning um, at this stage, a lot of veterinarians and research and from doing necropsies and other diagnostics can all confidently say about 80% of the kidneys just are done. They're not working anymore. And so it's kind of wild. And even her phosphorus and calcium were out of balance because they're trying to filter and exchange, but they can't. So they're struggling with that. Her phosphorus was through the roof. Um, it was it was wild, but we were able to um, humanely euthanize this patient upon the owner's request and the doctor's suggestions. Um, and so she is no longer in pain and dealing with that. So. Uh, sad but happy ending for her um, she's no longer dealing with this stuff uh, another one that I learned about is called euthyroid sick which is like a symptom or a syndrome I guess a syndrome uh, the symptoms kind of mirror hypothyroidism such as like fatigue weight loss muscle weakness bradycardia um, and a bunch more the T4s are within normal limits on your chemistries, but what you need to do is you need to check your T3s um, by sending those off to a lab for diagnosis of, you know, issues there. So with you thyroid sick animals, the thyroid gland is not diseased and it's very healthy generally. Um, just the thyroid hormones are low normal, high normal. So not like drastic level changes like commonly seen in hypothyroid dogs, um, but enough to throw the reference levels off a little bit and concerning that this patient is maybe pre-hypothyroid, like on the brink of it. 
um, when in reality the thyroid gland is working itself. There's just some slight imbalances with the um, thyroid hormones. And so that's something you can get the animal on some medications. I'm not sure what yet. I'm sure I'll learn next semester when I take pharmacology. But it was just pretty neat to learn that stuff. And uh, I enjoyed working small animal with Dr. Sorb. He was pretty awesome. Taught me a bunch of things. And so uh, Carling and I will probably do some more of these in the future. I know she's got some really cool cases I'd love to hear about. And I'm sure y'all would too. So uh, keep an eye out. You may hear more case presentations from us. And if you like that, just shoot us an email at dvmloadingpodcast at gmail.com. And we would be so happy to hear your feedback, hear back from you, everything like that. Um, Carling would be so proud that I just remembered to plug the email. <laughs> um, find us on Instagram also, dvmloading underscore podcast, something like that. Uh, as, as I should know, but other than that, I enjoyed just sitting here getting to talk with y'all. My dogs are sleeping, being peaceful little angels. And, um, I will, I guess, see y'all or y'all will hear back from us next week whenever we're together and, uh, we can just, it's going to be exciting. Carling and I have a lot of things planned for this coming semester. So stay tuned to, uh, learn more and hear more about our start of second year. I cannot believe it. We have, we've made it. Summer is over and we're starting second year or we're close to being, being halfway done. So, um, I guess my win for the week, I'll just talk to myself some more. My win for the week is, um, it is my parents 25th wedding anniversary tomorrow. So that's really exciting. Um, that means that I'm also getting older, so not exciting, but my win for the week is I got to see my two, uh, really good friends and old roommates from undergrad. Uh, we went down to the Frio and it was just the best time seeing them. So I enjoyed seeing them and I got to hang out with some of my friends and old work coworkers in here in town while I was visiting my hometown. So that was always good to catch up with them, but I will be honest, it just, sometimes it has you feeling a way of, like, a year ago I was making good money, like, an adult money out of school, and I wasn't in school, and so it's just, it's hard to step away from having that and going into being a broke, um, but student with no income, and so the mental toll with that is a whole nother ball game, but I just choose to ignore uh, my finances right now <laughs> um, and just stay friendly to a budget. But anyway, so that's hard because people's lives are moving on and I feel sometimes that all I've ever been or known as is a student and so it's kind of difficult um, but we are thriving and cannot wait to get back to school because that's literally like my favorite thing. So anyways, I hope y'all all have a fantastic week. Sorry again for missing uh, last two episodes. It's good to hear from y'all and, and talk to y'all. So even if I'm sitting here in my room talking to myself, <laughs> but I hope y'all have a fantastic week and uh, see you next week. Wreck'em.